Hello. Welcome to All Theology is Christology. I am Dr. Michael C. Boykin, and today I'm going to be talking to you about God's will toward you. God being for you. Uh, first of all, and it may seem self-evident, that we need to talk about whether or not God even has a will. Uh, again, it seems self-evident that any God that we would be that would be worthy of being a God would would indeed have will and have a mind, and God, the God of the Scripture, certainly does. And I'm going to be quoting from a number of Bible passages. Uh, if you if you have your Bible with you, you can follow along. Although I'm going to go quickly. And you can, uh, again, listen to the podcast and then check those uh, verses out for yourself. First of all, Scripture teaches that God does have a will as well as a mind. Uh, and for this is, as we look at John chapter 6, verse 40, For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And then we also find in the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then in the second chapter of 1 Timothy, beginning with verse 3, Sometimes this is translated desire rather than will, but the, but the Greek word there is thaleo, which means to will. For it, it says, For it is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men be saved, and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now, when we look at God in and of himself, what we sometimes refer to as the eminent God or Trinity, or the ontological trinity. This is God uh, within his interpersonal relationships within himself. Sometimes called the perichoretic relationship that it, God occupies, you might say, the same divine space. And we can know nothing of God uh, from this standpoint because God is in a class all by himself. We cannot even define God. We can describe God as he reveals himself to us. Uh, you can kind of look at nature, but most specifically, God reveals himself in his Son, Jesus Christ. But God is, as I said, a class unto himself. There is none like God. So our finite minds are simply limited in its ability to understand that which is infinite, and it's incomprehensible to us. So we simply have to base our understanding of this interpersonal relationship with God from revealed revelation, which we find in Scripture. There is only one essence in God. We say there is one essence in three distinct persons. And will corresponds to essence. In fact, you might say God's essence is His will. Um, it's an attribute of God. And all three persons of the Trinity, this divine will, uh, just like the divine essence, is in these three distinct persons. But there is only one will within the Trinity, just like there is only one essence in the Trinity, in these three distinct purposes. Now that's God in and of himself. And so, yes, God has a will, 
But this will that's in the Trinity is unknowable to us. Now later on, I'm going to, I'm going to be talking about the hidden and revealed will of God. There's a reason why we call it the hidden will of God, because we can't know this. And trying to know God in this way is not only futile, but it leads to all kinds of problems. Uh, certain theologies base the salvation on this hidden knowledge of God. God does not want us to try to ascend into his mind as if we could and, and somehow understand the will of God. We can't. So we, the, the hidden will of God leads us to the revealed will of God, and I'm going to be talking about that. Now, and also talking about God, as I said, there's only one will. Right? There's not divided will, nor does God change his mind. He's, his, his will doesn't change from one day to the next. It's eternal. It's unchangeable. But from our perspective, that is, from our perspective and looking at God, there appears to be like two divisions within God's will, what we call the antecedent will. And what I mean by that is this is really what God desires. Right? This is what God wants. But because of the reaction of his creatures to, God, to what God wants, there is a consequent will. Uh, and, and this will is not particularly what God wants, but what God is by his own nature required of us. For instance, God is a righteous God. He just simply cannot ignore unrighteousness. Right? Uh, so God has to deal with those things. And again, from our perspective, it looks like there, there is this division between what God wants and then what, to a certain degree, what God is, uh, has to respond to because of the reaction or lack of action of his creatures. So uh, let's look, first of all, at God's antecedent will, what God wants to do. Look at John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so we see God taking the initiative. He sends the Son based strictly on his love, not anything conditional in us. Right? God's will, by the way, is not affected by anything outside of God. Right? All right, that, that's also, but God reveals himself to us, and he reveals to us what his will is. Picking up with verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Right? God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That's not what God wants to do. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Saving the world here, it means human beings, uh, directly. But all creation is related to man's uh, fall from God. And also creation, as it says in Scripture, longs for the, groans, longs for the day for the sons of God to be revealed. So there is a connection between man's fall and the fall of creation. But here specifically, the world is the world of sinful human beings. And what? Whoever believes in him is not condemned, right? But whoever does not believe is condemned already. God's primary reason, his antecedent, what God wants to do is to save. 
but because of unbelief, and here again I'm going to continue by reading Scripture itself, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name. Name here is also sometimes referred to as God's essence or being, almost referring to the triune God, the divine essence. Believe in the name of the only Son of God. So God came, uh, uh, sent his Son into this world, who became flesh in order to save the world. That's his antecedent, to give life and salvation. That's where Christ says, I've come into the world to give life and to give it abundantly. Because of man's rejection of this grace of God, which is only found in Christ Jesus, there is condemnation. And we'll go on, for instance, that God does not uh, even delight in the destruction of the wicked, because we see this in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? So God's, as I said, or as Scripture says, God does not delight even in the destruction of the wicked. He, he does not find joy at all in condemning anyone to eternal death and damnation. He wants people to be saved. And you see that, I mean, in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, God wants us saved so much that he was willing to sacrifice, which he did, willingly sacrifice, his son on the cross so that we can have life and salvation. Then in the second chapter of 1 John, looking at verses 1 and 2, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. This advocate, by the way, sometimes the Holy Spirit is referred to as the advocate. But here, specifically, Jesus is the advocate. So Jesus is pleading on our behalf before God, his Father. It says, He is Jesus Christ. In other words, the advocate, the one who is truly righteous. He's righteous in himself. He himself is the sacrifice, Christ beat Jesus, that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Right? I mean, that's how God, how seriously God wants us to be saved, that he sent his own son as atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. God desires all people to be saved. And, and it says also in the, the third chapter of Second Peter, verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. Let me repeat that. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God desires, God wishes, God wills that all people be saved. Christ is the atoning sacrifice for the sin of all people. Every single sin of every single sinner has been paid for by the suffering and death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All sin, past, present, and future. And then we look uh, also uh, at another aspect, and that is, 
can God's will be resisted? Well, yes and no. If you're talking about God and His majesty, when He comes, for instance, when Christ comes back at the end of the world in all power and glory, not in the state of humiliation, but in the state of, uh, of His glorification, uh, no, you cannot resist God in that, in that relationship between His majesty. Right? God's will is going to be done be done. And we see this, for instance, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has exalted him, meaning Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You might say when God works with us in this in, in, kind of in His naked glory, no, we cannot resist. And even the demons, unbelief, it doesn't make any difference. All are going to become under the power of God, and all are going to confess Jesus as Lord. But as God chooses to work through or indirectly through means, uh, that is through the preaching of the gospel and through the administration of the sacraments, which Augustine would say is the visible gospel, man can resist God. God can be resisted as he works through the means of grace. And we can see this, for instance, from Jesus himself, verse, uh, chapter 23 of Matthew, verse 37. Jesus is saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Christ came to the residents or, the, or those who dwell within Jerusalem. He preached the message of the kingdom of God. And Although it was God's will that they be saved and come to the knowledge of God and have everlasting life and salvation, they resisted the preaching of Jesus, even though they saw his miracles. I mean, they saw Jesus give sight to the blind, to the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, the lame to walk, lepers were cleansed, demons were cast out, and the dead were raised and still they did not believe. So man can, and we see this all the time, man can resist the will of God as God works through means. It doesn't mean God doesn't want them to be saved. They themselves have resisted the work of the Holy Spirit, which, which comes through the preaching of the gospel. The, the preaching of the gospel is a vehicle of the Holy Spirit. Just like the sacraments of Christ are vehicles of the Holy Spirit. It's through these that the Holy Spirit works to create faith. We confess that the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. Again, let me go back, quoting from Scripture itself, God wills, God desires all people to be saved.
God desires, God wills, all people to be saved. But not all people will be saved, but it's not because God doesn't want them to. It's because they have resisted God's will. Now, I want to talk to you about God's, uh, again, two ways of looking at God's will. God's hidden will and God's revealed will. God's hidden will is called hidden for a purpose because we don't know what this will is. We can't see this will. We can't know this will. And by the way, God doesn't want us to know him according to his hidden will. It, God doesn't want us trying to ascend into heaven and to look into his mind. First of all, we can't understand it. But look at, for instance, chapter 11, verse 33 through 34. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. And then it asks these questions which expects a negative answer. For who has known the mind of the Lord? No one. Or who has been his counselor? No one. The only way we know the mind of God is it's revealed in Jesus Christ. And that's, but that's the revealed will of God. That's not the hidden will of God. And I would say trying to search God's mind leads only to despair. I mean, if my basing my salvation, my relationship to God on God's hidden will, which is inaccessible to me, which is unknowable to me, I can never, ever have any assurance of my salvation. Never. And again, God doesn't want us to know it this way. But in all matters of our salvation, we are directed solely, only, to the gracious will of God, which is revealed, not hidden, in Christ. I'm going to repeat that because this is something I want to emphasize. In all matters of our salvation, we are directed solely, only, to the gracious will of God, will of God, which is revealed, that's not hidden, in Christ. God's gracious will for us is revealed in Christ. In Christ. God, can, God and His will can only be known in Christ. Look at uh, John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, right? the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known, talking about Christ has made Him known. Jesus says in John chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on you know him and have seen him. God the Father and God the Father's will is revealed in his Son, Jesus Christ, who desires all people to be saved. As Christ said, I have come to give life and to give it abundantly. And God desires for you and for me to have that life. 
And he sends his Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel, that is, that a sinner is saved or declared righteous by the grace of God, not because of works, by the grace of God, for the sake of Jesus Christ, that means his suffering and death upon the cross, which we receive by faith alone, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. I hope this has been helpful in understanding that God's will for you is that you have life and salvation. Thank you.